Hey, what's up, everybody? For your fix of fitness, health, life, and laughs, you know where it's at. That's right, it's at the podcast with your host, yours truly, Adam Pullman. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is the show where you get all of your health, fitness, and nutrition questions answered by me, your host and coach, Adam Pullman. But in today's episode, we actually get to sit down and talk with Sal Stefano, one of the hosts of the Mind Pump podcast. Mind Pump is the number one health and fitness podcast in the world uh, right now, so it was an amazing opportunity to sit down and talk with him. We discussed a lot of different topics, ranging from um, resistance training and why that's the single best form of exercise all the way to spirituality, to um, divorce, to his own personal journey with health and fitness. Um, we talked about tons and tons of different stuff today in this episode. This is um, an episode that is loaded with lots of valuable information, so make sure you tune in, all right? Now, normally uh, in this show, it is topic or question driven. So listeners just like you will send in questions about health, fitness, and nutrition, and I'll answer them here on the show. So if you want to have a question answered in a future episode, go ahead and find me on Instagram. My handle is Adam underscore Pullman fit. You go to my story on Saturday, you will see a question box that says, ask me a question. That is your green light to submit as many health, fitness, and nutrition questions as you would like. And I will then, I will answer them both there on the story in short form, uh, briefly there, and then as well as in detail in long form uh, here on the show. So that's how you go ahead and get that done. Now, if you are someone that is interested in delicious high-protein cereal, we've got a hookup for you. So Magic Spoon makes amazing high-protein cereal that reminds you of the stuff that you grew up with as a kid, except it doesn't taste um, like garbage, <laughs> like the rest of the cereals do that you'll find at Whole Foods or stuff like that. Um, this is a cereal that it, it like it actually tastes good. Now, granted, you know I'll be I'll be truthful. There are definitely some flavors that are better than others, and some that are worse than others. My personal favorites are the the fruity and the blueberry, but that's just me. A lot of people like the chocolate. A lot of people like the peanut butter. You're just gonna have to figure out what you like yourself, and you can do that with one of their custom boxes. So. You can create a custom box of, of four different flavors, um, and they'll send those four different uh, cereals right to your door. So if you want to, go ahead and check them out and give them a try. Go to magicspoon.com and then use the code PULLMANFIT for $5 off your order at checkout. Now, if you are um, gearing up for some, some, some last-minute camping or some last-minute trips uh, before the colder months come here, you know, in um, November, December, for some people in some places, October and you want to bring something to keep your drink hot or cold for an extended period of time, or if you're just chilling in the house and you want your coffee to stay hot or cold for an extended period of time, uh, check out Mir. Go to Mir.com, M-I-I-R.com. They make amazing products, camps, tumblers, mugs um, that keep those drinks at temperature for a very long period of time. And you can get a 20% off discount when you use the code Adam Pullman 20 at checkout. So go ahead and go there, use that code at checkout, and you will get 20 percent off. Lastly, if you want some valuable free resources to help you out in your health and fitness, whether that's building muscle, losing body fat, figuring out the whole protein situation, building a better butt, building better arms, whatever it might be, go ahead and check out pullmanfitness.com slash free. There are tons of valuable free resources in there for you. That's Pullman Fitness. That's P-O-E-H-L-M-A-N-N fitness.com slash free. All right. Without uh, further ado, here's that interview with Sal Stefano. You know, I would love to. I would love to just just kind of start with um, 
you before getting into mind pump and specifically talking about you know what it looked like for you to kind of get into health and fitness what that process looked like how that led you to becoming a personal trainer and then eventually leading you into mind pump so if you just want to start back there and just kind of get the ball rolling that'd be awesome yeah absolutely so i i uh got really interested in fitness and exercise and in particular resistance training uh, at the age of 14 so my dad had this weight set in the backyard and i was always uh, really into strength and muscles. You know, I liked the incredible Hulk and He-Man. That was a big cartoon when I was a kid. And I really wanted to lift weights, uh, but I wasn't allowed to because I was too young. So when I turned 14, uh, you know, I begged my parents and my dad said, yeah, that's fine. You can go back here and start using the weights. And so I did. And and, uh, one of the first books I ever got uh, on the subject was Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. In fact, it's up in our studio right now. It's all covered in, in, in duct tape because it's, I've been, I read the thing so many times, but I, I took that book and I, I followed the exercises and just immediately fell in love, fell in love with the feeling of lifting weights. Um, I fell in love with the fact that it was something that I could do to improve myself. So I'd say I felt so empowered by it and I immediately became obsessed and I read everything I possibly could. I subscribed to every magazine I could. And just absolutely loved it. And then I would train friends, you know, when I was 15 and 16 and 17 and so on. Well, uh, I, uh, in high school, I knew that I wanted to work with exercise somehow as a profession. Mm -hmm. And at that age, the only profession that I knew that utilized exercise that that I thought would be a good job or career was physical therapy. So um, in high school, I, th- I said, okay, I'm going to go to school for physical therapy. When I turned 18, I wanted to get a job uh, that worked with exercise as a way to kind of get myself going. And I thought, you know, um, personal trainer sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And it'll kind of get my foot in the door. I'll learn exercise. This will help me become uh, you know, a better physical therapist. And so I went to the local 24-hour fitness gym and uh, asked for the manager. Manager comes out and uh, got hired kind of right there on the spot. I think he probably saw my passion and enthusiasm and said, okay, I'll give this kid a chance. Became a trainer and just absolutely fell in love with it. Within the first week, uh, I sold more training than the top trainer had sold uh, for the whole month. It was just right out the gate. So it was like something I was totally made for. And it wasn't even certified. In fact, uh, the clients had to wait for me to get certified. So I had all these clients waiting for me. Once I got my certification, which at the time, 24 Fitness would put you through a certification, then I was able to train clients. And I did that. And within four months, um, I got myself uh, up to the fitness manager position. So this is a this is essentially running the fitness department. So I'd have trainers, all the trainers worked under me and I managed this supplement sales and all that stuff. And at that time, <clears throat> this was one of the bigger box locations for 24 Hour Fitness. Uh, we personal training had just become kind of a revenue source for them. So they were kind of testing it out to see this is something that they'd want to invest time and money in. Mm -hmm. And that particular club, the club goal total for the, for the whole month for personal training was, I think it was $13,500 and 8,000 of which I was selling myself as a trainer. So now I'm a manager and we went, $30,000, $40,000, $60,000. And I was just having a great time. Mm -hmm. We were doing good things. 
And the time came up for me to start going back to school. And, you know, at the time I was having so much fun. I was making really good money. I told my manager, hey, I think I need to step down because I want to go to school to be a physical therapist. And he said, well, do you know how much they make? And I said, well, not really. So we, we looked Less it up. Think. Less than you think. Well, we looked it up and, and, and I realized I was making more right. than a physical therapist. And he says, do you like doing this or do you want to work in a clinical mm. setting? And I said, no way, man. I like, I like doing this. So I, I talked to my parents and, and I convinced them to let me have a year where I could just dedicate myself to, to, you know, working in the fitness industry. And if at the end of the year, it wasn't working out well, I'd go back to school and I never looked back, um, fell in love with it. Uh, grand open clubs for 24 hour fitness left, opened my own gym, sold that bought and opened my own wellness studio, which I did for about 13 or 14 years. Okay. And that was the, that was before I, um, started mind pump with, my partners that was when so, you had like <clears throat> physical therapists and acupuncturists stuff working in that in that center with you yeah the goal with the wellness facility was i, I wanted a um a, a facility that could get people healthy before they'd have to go to and get medical intervention oh, okay so personal trainers acupuncture massage therapy i had people doing nutrition um hormone and gut testing back before it was a popular um, and I, I think I said physical therapy mm -hmm. and, uh, I had a great staff, great team, small location, <clears throat> but you know, we were like a high dollar, high service, low volume right. type facility. <clears throat> and, uh, we were, we did very well with our clients and I absolutely loved it learned a lot. Um, and then, um, you know, started mind pump and sold it and, and that's it. And so I've been doing this ever since. I love that. So one, one thing that I'm curious to know along that journey, cause when I started listening to mind pump, I remember, um, how shockingly refreshing it was to hear a message that was centered on overall health rather than just, you know, building muscle, losing body fat. Because I think even now right. that's the main topic of discussion in any conversation around health, fitness, and nutrition. Um, and so to, to be a whatever 19, 20-year-old kid and to realize like, oh, wow, I can focus on health. I can focus on, you know, eating whole natural foods and prioritizing nutrients and that will eventually lead to the external stuff. So I know that you've mentioned in the show that you kind of worked through, you know, wanting to avoid being this skinny kid and wanting to always pack on muscle. So yeah. at what point for you personally, did it become more about your overall <clears throat> health rather than just the way that your body was composed of muscle fat, all that stuff? Yeah. And that's a good question. Cause when I was a young trainer, I was that stereotypical, yep trainer it was all about you know building muscle burning body fat you know count your calories and your macros do what i tell you follow this meal plan and that was the the way that i approached trainers the way most trainers approach approach training but you know here's one of the the amazing things about professionals that work as fitness coaches or trainers and you know i, I spent a while going around to gyms and speaking to to trainers um, and this is before all the lockdowns and stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And I did it because uh, I love trainers and I love fitness coaches. I think they're the ones that are best equipped to solve the obesity epidemic and the chronic health issues that plague modern societies. And of course, I feel a kinship to them, right? Because uh, this is who I am at my core. Mm -hmm. And one thing you'll find in common with all trainers and coaches who've been trainers and coaches for 
you know, seven plus years, right? People have been doing it a long time is that they have a deep passion for people. Um, and, and it's true. And the reason why they do is because uh, you, you won't last as a trainer long enough if you don't have a passion for people. It's a hard job. I mean, people don't do what you tell them. It's really hard to get people to be consistent. You're on there's a lot of the time. You're always on, you know, when you're with a client, there's no break. Mm-hmm. You've got to be, you, you take on a lot of their, you know, problems and all the heavy stuff that happens in their life. I mean, you see them on a regular basis. You, you might train someone, you know, twice a week for years. Uh, and they, so they see you and talk to you more than they see and talk to, you know, most people in their family. Right. And you got to take all that on. And it's a very tough job. If you love uh, people, if you really love people, have a passion for them, it's a great job. If you don't, it sucks. Now, if you really love people uh, and you want to help them, well, you can be quite objective as to what's working, what's not working. And we tend to not be so objective with ourselves. You know, training myself, and, and you'll talk to any trainer or coach, and they'll tell you that they train and coach their clients better than they train and coach themselves. You know, Absolutely. When, when, when it came to me, myself, it was, oh, I got to build muscle. Oh, I want to burn body and I would ignore maybe, you know, bad health signals and stuff that my body was telling me. But for my clients, I was pretty good. And I was always trying to help them. So that was the beginning of that, right? It was the beginning because at some point I would ask myself, am I really being effective with these clients? You know, yes, they're losing weight and, and their, you know, the strength is getting better, but are people, are they maintaining you know, what happens when they stop working with me? And the answer to that was I was failing. Almost all my clients, if they stopped working with me, stopped working out and would their diet would go back to what it was before and they'd gain the weight back and get unhealthy. And so I was like this temporary fix. And so I had to really evaluate my strategy and my approach. And so that was the beginning of me looking at this from a very holistic when I say holistic I mean everything right so health encompasses much more than just exercise and diet right there's the relationship you have with food food means a lot of things to us it's not just nutrients and calories it's how we medicate it's how we celebrate um it's you know it's got meaning you know based on maybe things that we ate as a child and there's so much that goes into food uh, there's sleep and all the things that affect our sleep. And there's the relationships with the people around us. And most importantly, the relationship we have with ourselves. Like what, why do you want to work out in the first place? Is it because you hate the way you look? Is it because you hate your body? You know, that's the wrong approach that'll lead to failure. So th- that was the beginning of it. Now, what really kicked off this kind of change in terms of how I approach fitness and health was my own personal health um, crisis uh it's probably the best word i could use to describe it so i think i was probably i want to say maybe 29 or 30 and at this point you know i've been working out for years myself and i've been you know forcing myself to eat x amount of grams of protein and take all these supplements and overtraining my body in this pursuit of building muscle because a lot of it was rooted in my own insecurities which like it is for a lot of people um, I took, you know, <clears throat> supplements and, and compounds that were not good for my body, you know, over the counter designer steroids, which at the time were uh, gray market and legal, uh, but they were, you know, make no mistake, they were anabolic steroids, you could just buy them uh, on the internet. <clears throat> and, uh, it, you know, it all <clears throat> came to a head when my body rebelled. And so 
I've, I've always kind of had gut issues on and off, but uh, all of a sudden I had such severe gut issues that I just was losing weight. I wasn't absorbing nutrients. I wasn't absorbing my food. Which at the time for you, losing weight <clears throat> was probably an absolute crisis. It was, it was terrifying. Okay. I identified with my body. I identified with muscle. <clears throat> and here I am. I lost like close to 15 pounds within a few months. The doctor really had no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, you know, maybe you have an autoimmune issue. Um, you know, we don't know, you know what's, what's happening. This is before they tested for SIBO and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and so I was, and, and also I was confused because I thought I was healthy because I ate, you know, the right amount of calories and protein and carbs and fats. And I worked out and I'm like, what the hell is going on? So after a few months of just not knowing what's happening, watching myself wither away and feel terrible, I turned to some of my staff members. And so at the time I had a massage therapist who was also very versed in holistic health. And I had a physical therapist who uh, was, you know, she did gut testing and hormone testing and she was, uh, you know, check certified and you know, really into that kind of wellness stuff. And I respected what they did. I saw that their clients valued them. I just never, it wasn't for me, right? Well, now I'm in this position and I was desperate. And so I sat down with them and I said, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me. Like, I, I, I'm done. I can't figure this out. This is terrible. And so I changed my approach uh, completely. I stopped training for aesthetics and size. I stopped eating to maximize muscle and you know, fat loss and all became about health. It all became about improving my wellness and my health. So I cut my training down. I did some gut testing. Uh, I started with some possible food intolerances. I eliminated them out of my diet, did an elimination diet. I uh, started to, so essentially cut out gluten, I cut out all dairy, uh, cut out nuts, uh, legumes, egg whites. Uh, I did that for a while. I was very sensitive for a while with my, with my gut issues. Uh, I started supplementing with uh, cannabidiol. So I found myself, I found that high, do high CBD cannabis actually had a positive effect. So I started using that, uh, incorporated some meditation and uh, over the course of a year started to heal my body. Um, and at the end of that year, now, during that period of time, I really ignored the mirror, didn't weigh myself. I had to because looking in the mirror and studying my, the way I looked and weighing myself could easily cause me to spiral off track. Right. Mm -hmm. So I ignored it completely. It was just like, it's all about feeling better. I care about nothing else. I just want to be healthy. Well, at the end of the year, I paid attention to the reflection in the mirror for the first time. And I had this crazy realization. I had actually looked better than I'd ever had looked before. And, and it was all through the pursuit of health. So because I pursued health, I actually was able to accomplish, you know, better results aesthetically than I ever had before. Mm -hmm. And that was really the beginning of, you know, what you, kind of the voice you hear now on the podcast, when you hear me communicate the way right. I do. Now, it made me a much more effective coach and trainer as well, because this is a message that has longevity, sustainability. It makes exercise not a punishment, but rather something you're doing to take care of yourself. And it makes eating right feel good too. Uh, and so that was kind of, that's the, you know, in those years really molded me uh, into the person I am now. 
I know that's that's a, it's a great story and it's a good it's good to get that insight because um, I feel like there are a lot of people like you said we all have our insecurities we all have the you know the shitty stuff that we're going through whether it's health and fitness or something outside of that so it's good to hear this from you because what I want to ask is during this time I I can imagine that not you know gauging yourself in the mirror you know not paying attention to those things like you mentioned you know stopping or cutting in half the training that you were doing for a specific intention of aesthetics, all that stuff was probably a lot easier said than done. And for some people that might look like not weighing themselves. So how did you get yourself to go from a place where you were kind of, you know, obsessed with the way your body looked to a place where you had to kind of just trust the process? How did you allow yourself to commit to that over the course of a year, which feels like a really long time when you're in the, in the, the heat of it, um, to be able to get yourself to pursue that healing and let the other stuff go? You, you know, I was desperate. I was desperate because the alternative was keep losing weight, keep not absorbing nutrients, mm. keep getting sicker. So I was forced uh, into that position. Now, it, now, if I go back in time, do I think I would have made those changes had I not been so desperate? I don't know. I'll be quite honest with you. I don't, I don't know. But for anybody watching and listening right now, you know, here's something that, and this is hindsight, right? Hindsight's always 2020, but I was getting signals way before that, that I ignored from my body. And the thing about your body and your health, whether it's your mental health or your physical health is you'll get, your body will talk to you and the, if you ignore your body, it'll continue to talk to you and then it'll start to yell and then it'll start to scream and, and it'll get to the point where you can't ignore the signals anymore. You know, like to give you a simple example, it's like, oh, I feel a slight twinge in my knee, but if I wrap my knee, I don't feel pain anymore. So I'm going to keep doing the same stuff. And then, oh man, the, the wrap now, I still hurt my knee. So now let me take some ibuprofen and uh, oh man, that's really hurting now. So I think what I'm going to do now is uh, ice my knee right after I train on top. You just keep ignoring the signal. And then eventually it's like your body, it gets louder and louder. So you can't ignore it, you know? And, oh no, now I, I've got a severe injury now that requires surgery, for example. In my case, it was ignoring the inflammation, ignoring, you know, the gut issues that would pop up here and there, ignoring how I felt. And it was impossible to ignore when, you know, I was in this situation where I thought I had an autoimmune disease. So, so that's really what did it for me. Now, the reason why I, I stopped looking in the mirror and stopped weighing myself is because I knew that it would have been, that would have made it impossible for me. Yeah. And, and this is a strategy I use with clients as well. Is that clients that were obsessed with the scale, I would tell them to to take their scale and bring it to, to, to the gym and I'll hold it for you or put it in the closet. Don't weigh yourself right. for the next three months right? because we can really distort ourselves in terms of how well we're doing. Uh, if we, you know, if, if we stick to the old stuff that we, we did before. So that was the strategy. And, and I knew, okay, I, I need to completely shift my focus and just let go of mm -hmm. how I look. So I thought to myself, Oh, I'm going to lose tons of muscle. Oh, I'm not going to look, you know, as jacked, but I have to do this. So I don't care. So I, I let go of it. Right. That's why I was so surprising at the end when I <clears throat> looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I look the way I do. 
So during that process, though, was there any sort of time where you you begin to feel like, um, you know, the wins or the benefits of what you were doing before you realized that it impacted your your overall physique? Like, were you like, oh, you know, three months in, I do feel a lot better. I got more energy and that made it a little bit easier to to push through. Or did you kind of just did that not really come until the very end? No, I felt I started noticing probably. uh, Maybe four weeks in, uh, I was able, you know, I was digesting and i wasn't losing nutrients i started to feel healthier so about four weeks in i started to feel like okay this is working and and it was gradual that whole time and there were moments where i'd slip up i mean I was, my gut was so sensitive at that time where if i had like and i had to learn uh a lot about food differently than i knew before like for example i didn't know uh, I knew gluten was found in bread and wheat, right? But I didn't know other products. Right. So I would, you know, there's a few times where I uh, I got some beef jerky and I'd eat it and I'd have this reaction. Like, what the hell? It's just beef jerky. And it's like, no, it's got soy sauce in it. And soy sauce has got gluten in it, unless it says specifically gluten-free. Or I'd get this marinade or this barbecue sauce and it would have a, a compound or ingredient that would bother me and I didn't even know to look. So I was so sensitive in the beginning, especially I had to be like clean, like super regimented, allow myself to heal. By the end of that year, I, my body didn't react nearly as strongly. And then it got to the point where the occasional introduction of a food, like, you know, maybe like bread or something like that wouldn't cause uh, as bad of a reaction, but it did take a little while. Yeah, I think I feel like that's just um, it's something that's so important and so easily overlooked during those processes that tend to be, you know, for longer periods of time because we're so focused on that end goal that we are obsessed with. It's uh, it's really easy to forget, forget about the other stuff like the small wins and the victories and the changes um, that can allow us to keep moving forward. You know, so if if it's whatever, like you said, we're, we're giving the scale to the trainer or our spouse is hiding it, um, you know, we might overlook the fact that our habits are better, we're getting better sleep, our stress is better, um, when we are just focused on trying to get to that next weigh-in with the scale. So having those small victories is huge. That's why I was curious to, yeah. to ask about those. Um, I want to take a little bit of a, of, a, of a left and backpedal and go back to what you mentioned about personal trainers and um, the, the love that you have for them. One thing that you said that was super interesting that I feel a lot of people would actually disagree with, I don't disagree with, but I feel like a lot of people would disagree with is the statement that you said about personal trainers being, you know, at the forefront of, of fighting the, you know, obesity epidemic. I think a lot of people would say, you know, like you mentioned in your previous episode, um, you know, it's an in-between job. It's not something to be taken seriously. Uh, why would I, you know, pay someone to yeah. do what I can do myself? So, um, what is it about personal trainers that you feel um, gives them so much power to be able to take on something like the obesity epidemic? Yeah, well, uh, there is no other industry that approaches it anywhere um, anywhere near the right way, right? The medical community, Western medicine does a phenomenal job at uh, treating certain illnesses, and, but they do a terrible job right now, currently, and maybe this will change later, but they do a terrible job with chronic uh, health issues and especially lifestyle-based health issues. Like your doctor knows very little, this is true. I think they take a semester of nutrition, if I'm not mistaken with all the school they go through, if that, right? So they know very little about nutrition. They're definitely not gonna coach you through the process. You know, it's not an information problem. A lot of people think people are obese because they don't have the right information. That's false. 
in some cases, sure, that's true. But really, the most most of the, the cases, most of the issue is people just don't have the behaviors. They don't understand and have the behaviors or develop the behaviors that lead to a healthy life. They never live them, right? They grew up a particular way. We enjoy, we eat food based off of how enjoyable it is to eat. And that's pretty much how we value food. And if you don't believe me, all top selling food categories are food that tastes the best, right? Yeah. Um, even health food. So even protein bars, like the number one selling protein bars, the one that tastes the best. Uh, we, we just don't understand uh, how to develop those behaviors. And it's not an easy process. It's a process. And so you need a guide to be with you along the way to develop these behaviors that lead to a healthy life. And, and, and these behaviors are often fundamentally different than the ones that people have in their everyday life. I mean, mm -hmm. we're asking people to incorporate structured exercise into their lives forever. Okay, so you don't do anything now. I want you now to exercise three days a week, uh, forever for the rest of your life, right? That's a big ask yeah. for most people. We're asking people to change their relationship to food and how they eat, not for just three months or not just until they lose 30 pounds, but forever. So we're going to do this for the rest of your life, right? We want you to, to, to change your behaviors around being outdoors or just how you treat yourself in general. It's a very, very challenging thing to do. Coaches and trainers are best equipped to do this because we're the closest you're going to get to a guide walking along with you throughout this journey. Um, nobody else really does this. And coaches and trainers understand, really good ones at least, understand nutrition from a behavioral standpoint. They understand exercise very well. This is important because although any activity, so long as it's not, uh, so long as it's appropriate, is better than no activity, the, the best type of activity for your body is going to give you way better returns mm -hmm. uh, on what you're looking to do. And actually, in fact, I wrote a book on this and, and I talked about uh, resistance training as being one of the most effective forms of exercise for what most people are looking for. Most people just don't know that, right? Right. So coaches and trainers are the ones that, and in my experience, the people who have gotten other people to make those forever changes were coaches and trainers. I've never seen a doctor do that. I've never seen, uh, you know, a therapist necessarily do that. It's, it's, it, it was coaches and trainers. So I'm not saying that they're going to solve the obesity epidemic, but if, if we, if, if we had to pick anybody who's most equipped to do so who has the best chances, it's no doubt. It's, it's trainers and health and fitness coaches. Yeah, no, I couldn't. I mean, obviously I have a bias because I'm a coach, but uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what you mentioned about uh, the, the, the medical community is, is, is so huge. And I think, you know, it's a pretty good understanding that they're great at the, at the emergency stuff, the stuff that's last minute trauma. But as far as walking with someone through that, I mean, I, I was having a check-in with one of my clients the other day and her primary care provider spent, 30 minutes with her and that was like an utter shock and a, a, like that she was so grateful for because usually it's two minutes right you know? and I'm like man 30 minutes it's nothing so <clears throat> my wife you know not to throw her under the bus or her school but she's going to PA school right now and their nutrition they had one or maybe two nutrition lectures and the food pyramid that they used was probably from like 30 years ago <laughs> I mean yeah. it was pretty it was pretty bad so one of the words that you use to describe 
trainers and coaches was guide. Yeah. What, what are the characteristics of a coach that is a good guide? What does it look like to find a trainer that you can trust? Yeah. So, um, think of it this way, right? You're going to climb, you're going to climb Mount Everest. So you, you end up hiring a, what do they call it? Sherpa, I think is the name of the, the, those, those guides. And the whole reason why you want to climb, climb Mount Everest is you want the experience. You want to be able to accomplish this incredible thing, right? Well, if a Sherpa throws you on his back and carries you up the mountain, it'll be a nice view at the top, but it's, it's not nowhere near the same experience. Right. As if you climb the mountain yourself, but it's nice to have that guide who can say, we're going to turn right here. And you know what, this face side of the mountain, probably not a good idea if we go this way. And oh, it looks like it's going to get real cold. Let's set up camp right now. Or you look like you might be getting, uh, you know, lightheaded, or it looks like you're getting some, some symptoms of low oxygen. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause here allow your body to acclimate before we walk up, right? So that person's guiding you, but you're the one that is doing all of the work, right? That's what a guy, that's what a trainer and a coach does. Now, they can't do everything for you because that is not a sustainable way of accomplishing what you're looking to accomplish. Like you could hire chefs to make all your food for you. You could have trainers force you to exercise, but you're not going to reap nearly the same benefit as if you go through this journey on your own. Not to mention, it's probably unfeasible for most people to, to hire people to do everything for them anyway. So that's what a good guide and coach does is, you know, uh, a bad trainer would give you a meal plan, just eat these foods and you'll be fine. A good trainer and coach educates you and then walks you through the process of choosing foods that work best for you, of developing better relationships with food so that when you eat whatever you're eating, you realize that, okay, at this moment, the, the reason why I'm eating this is because it tastes good. Or the reason why I'm eating this is to fuel my body or to take care of myself or to improve my digestion or to help with recovery or, or whatever, right? So that's what that guide is there to do. And, and at the end of it, uh, and I, you know, at the end of your process with a good guide, you are left being your own guide and coach. That's really what the goal of a good trainer is. Now, how long does this take? Well, as long as, as long as the person feels they need that guide. You know, the way that I used to coach people and train people was I would typically they'd hire me for, and I'd work with them two or three days a week, usually how we started. And then if they stay with me for a long time, I would move them down. If they were at three days a week, I'd move them down to two days a week. Then I'd move them down to once a week. Then I'd move them down to once every other week. And then I had clients that were with me for 15 years that would come in once a month. You know, they come in once a month. I'd evaluate what they did. We'd show them some new movements and we'd, you know, we'd talk a little bit and then they'd go off and train themselves uh, for most of the month. And then of course I had clients that worked with me for a while that eventually went off on their own and continued to, to stay consistent. So that's, that's really the goal of, of a good, you know, coach and trainers guide somebody to that point. You're teaching them how to be self-sufficient. essentially. 100%. And I think, I feel like that comes, I don't know if you'd agree with this. You can let me know what your thoughts are, but I feel like it comes down to two different things. Um, one being an increased level of self understanding and self awareness as to how your body works, how you operate, how the human body works, as well as an, uh, an increased knowledge of, the fundamentals of health, fitness, and nutrition. 
if you combine those two things and both of those continue to increase, would you say that's a pretty good recipe to allow yourself to grow and learn and go on your own so you become self-sufficient rather than relying on a crutch like a, another diet or another 75 hard challenge or whatnot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And really, it's learning to understand, listen to the signals that your body tells you and then learning and understanding how to react right. appropriately. Most of us don't, we, we don't, we don't even know what signals our body is telling us. It's so weird. Like I, I would get a new client and one of the first questions you ask in an assessment is, you know, uh, do you have any areas on your body of pain of chronic pain? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we're like, no, I don't have any. And then I would do this. Okay. Well, let's start at the top. Uh, how does your, what about your neck? Okay. What about your shoulders? Any upper back pain? And I'd move down the body and inevitably it was like, oh yeah, my neck bothers me often or yeah, yeah, yeah my left knee is like totally unaware right of, of what's going on or somebody may say something like um you know how's your digestion oh it's really good and then i'd go down the checklist do you ever have heartburn oh yeah i have i i get i take tums every day though and then it solves the heartburn and i'd say well do you think it's any of the food that you're eating no 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 because i've been eating that you know same stuff forever it's like well for as long as you've had heartburn so <laughs> So we would, you know, and then we would, we would tease things out and isolate them and they'd start to, or they're just unaware that food makes them feel, particular foods make them feel annoyed or irritated or inflamed or particular foods make them feel good. Like this is another one. You know, I, we've, what we've done with food in particular is we've connected um, its palatability. That's the value. How tasty is it? But we haven't connected other values to foods like, oh, this one gives me great digestion and I feel really good. If we are, if we start to become aware of those things and connect those kind of dots, then what you'll find is you might, and this just naturally starts to happen. You start to actually desire foods for things other than their palatability. You you start right. to figure out that oh, when I eat a big bowl of steamed broccoli, you know that really helps my digestion, and my digestion's off right now. That's what I'm craving. I'm craving a big bowl of steamed broccoli. And when I feel know. better with my gut, I feel better with my energy or my mood and that sure. my workout. And then you have this long cascade of positive effects versus yep. a long cascade of negative effects. If you started it off with a, you know, whatever, a Twinkie or, you know, whatever highly processed hyper palatable food you wanted to throw in there. Oh yeah. Again, um, we've become so unaware to oftentimes cause we're unhealthy for so long. Like imagine if, if, if we could do this, right. Imagine if I had a magic wand, and I could walk up to the average American, right? Average American is, is overweight or obese, um, you know, inflammation, not very fit, right? Imagine if I could take the magic wand and for one hour transform them to a very healthy fit version of themselves. Mm -hmm. So for one hour, they could feel the difference. And then in an hour, they go back to where they were before. Oh, man. People's minds would be blown. Yeah. You know, it's like, it reminds me of the story of like the, the, the man who was, born with one eye sewed shut, you know, and everybody around him keeps telling him, you know, if you, if you open that eye, you'll be able to see so much more. It's like, what are you talking about? I see perfectly. It's not a problem until finally somebody cuts the threads and then he opens his eye and he's now in a new state of awareness and aware and, and realizes that he was partially blind. Right. So mm -hmm. this is the problem that we're running into. And it's what makes it one of the reasons why it's so challenging. What do you what do you feel like contributes to that lack of understanding and lack of awareness, uh, especially the increase that has that has happened in, in, in recent years as far as just being completely out of sync with what our body is trying to tell us? We don't 
we don't ever experience oftentimes the the opposing. We just we never do. Look, okay. When I first got certified as a trainer back in uh, 1997, I think it was, in my certification, they briefly covered uh, type one and type two diabetes, but they didn't call it type two diabetes. Adult onset. It was adult onset diabetes. That was what it was called. Why did they call it that? Because type one diabetes you're born with, right? That's your immune system and it's not producing insulin. Type two diabetes, which was at the time adult onset, they called it adult onset because you developed it as you got older through bad, uh, you know, bad eating habits and bad, you know, poor activity, right? So through poor health, you develop this, you get this adult onset form of diabetes. Well, they changed the name to type two because kids started getting it. And now we have tons of kids who develop type two diabetes, right? So here you are, you're a kid. You're not that active. You, you eat what your parents feed you, which, you know, a study just came out showing that 70, almost 70% of kids diets are comprised of heavily processed foods, right? So that's frozen pizza and burritos and chips and everything in boxes and wrappers, right? 70%. And I would surmise the other 30% is probably milk and cheese and, you know, the occasional, uh, you know, eggs or something like that, right? Um, so you, you start out that way and you live that way most of your life. You don't know. I have no idea what it, what it feels like to be um, really healthy. So or you don't know that. You just keep doing it thinking it's fine. This is just how I feel. You don't realize that you're depressed or, you know, compared to how you could feel, you know, we're so medicated, you know, this, the average American is on multiple medications, antidepressants, um, you know, ADD medications are, you know, through the roof for kids as well. And so we just, we just don't know. People don't know what they don't know. And then to make matters worse, when they go and they try to exercise or they try to eat right, they beat the crap out of themselves because, you know, exercise at this point now is a punishment. Oh, I can't believe I'm so fat. I hate my body. I'm going to go beat myself up in, in the gym, or I'm going to follow this fitness entertainer's workout, which you know, is making me, you know, sweat and burn and all that stuff, because I, I think that's supposed to be good for me. And, oh, I'm going to follow this new diet that I read that's supposed to be really good and super restrictive, but I'll go off of it once I lose the weight. And so then that's their experience with, with, uh, you know, with health and fitness and it's totally wrong. Right. So I think if people were to experience it the right way, then they would have some context in terms of, you know, maybe, you know, what they were missing, but it's, it's, it's tough, man. You're, if you grow up and you're raised a particular way and then, you know, you're 30 and you're like, I need to change everything. I got to change how I live every day forever. That's tough. Yeah, you're not asking them as a coach trainer. You're not asking them to make one change. You're asking them to flip their world upside down. Uh, at least that's how they feel, you know, when you ask oh, them to make that change. If they do it, I mean, if they do it right, it's a slow process. It's small right. steps. But at the end, you know, yeah, you're changing a lot. You're changing almost everything. So yeah. that's, a tough, that's a tough thing to ask. Yeah, no doubt. So speaking of coaches and trainers, the three of you, Adam, you, Justin, are all coaches and trainers. Um, and and from what I understand, Mind Pump was a little bit of a happy accident, or am I wrong here? Um, I would love to hear more about how that came to be. You know, I feel like what we've been talking about up to this point has been um, 
a great summary of the message that you guys deliver as far as overall health, being, you know, self-aware, increasing your knowledge, understanding about how those things work, um, chasing health with aesthetics following. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case that right out the gate when all three of you or all four of you met, that was the initial goal or was it? Walk me through what that looked like. Yeah, no, it was the goal. We, um, so I, 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 years ago I had developed, uh, an online workout program with, with Doug, who was my partner and we had put together some online marketing material and I had been in contact with Adam through social media and I'd known of him. We had mutual friends and he was a, a top performer in the gym industry, you know, locally. And so I had heard of him and people, you know, our mutual friends kept trying to get us to meet. We never really did. But uh, I met, I, we started talking through social media and I, I asked him his opinion on my online, you know, program and marketing materials. Hey, you, would you mind taking a look at this, giving me an honest opinion? He said, absolutely. Sent it to him. He loved it. And so we got on the phone, had a conversation, decided we should all meet. And so we all sat down and met and it was, uh, our chemistry was, was, uh, was amazing right out the gates. Uh, a lot of it because we all very similar in the sense that we knew what we wanted to communicate. We knew what we didn't want to communicate. We knew, we talked about how, you know, like, you know, how are we going to bring this message to people? We don't want to sell crap. We don't want to lie. We don't want to just do this to make money. We want to say the right stuff. We need a, a platform that's not going to require us to sell some bull crap supplement or whatever. Podcasting was great because there was such a low barrier to enter and we, didn't, we weren't beholden to any corporate sponsors or anything like that. We also picked podcasting because it's long form. You know, talking health and fitness, I can't do that effectively with a, a, an Instagram post it's or a blog. blog. No. no way. I train clients for years. I know it takes, it's conversations mm -hmm. over years, right? Mm -hmm. So podcasting is long form, it's conversational, allows me to discuss the intricacies and, and, and differences between people and, and all that stuff. We also knew that you, there's an entertainment factor that's gonna be real important. You know, if we kept it real technical, we'd be talking to the same, you know, in the same echo chamber, right? We'd be talking to other trainers and fitness fanatics, which, you know, nothing against fitness fanatics and other trainers, uh, but they don't need to hear this message, right? Yeah. It's like the average person, like, how can I get the average person to hear what I'm saying and want to listen? And part of the, re the way we did that was we made it, we, we wanted to make it entertaining. And so the, the idea of talking about current events and having fun with the conversation, that was right away. Now, we were very inexperienced in media, none, we had no experience in media, we were just trainers, that, you know, we knew how to communicate fitness. And so what you heard when you originally listened to our show was three you know, media amateurs uh, who could communicate fitness really well. And it resonated and it did, and, and it grew on its own. Um, and now we've done, I don't know, 1600 episodes. So that's probably close to 2000 or 3000 hours of, uh, of podcasting. Our media experience now is much better, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the formula is very, very much the same. So if you listen to our podcast, you know that you're going to get some current events, you're going to get some entertainment, some fun, and then we're going to, you know, Trojan horse some fitness and nutrition information that's really valuable. And just much less about bedazzled vaginas since the start. Oh, that's a that's an old episode. You, Very old. You Very went back old. and listened to the old ones? I mean, I've been listening since day one. So <laughs> that, like, that's one of those things that you never expect to hear, and it just stands out, so you never forget it. 
the 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 banter is definitely my favorite part. But so when you when you and Adam linked up, did you say, "Hey, I've got this program. Let's promote it via podcast, or let's just have a conversation about the program or get to know each other?" Um, and then the you had a conversation. You were like, "Oh, this would be cool to record." How you know? How did it all come together at the beginning, or did you have no. this grandiose plan for a business since day one? No, what we we want we started with just the podcast. Let's see if we can build an audience and if people find what we're gotcha. saying is valuable. We had no plan. We 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 didn't want to sell anything until we had provided so much value to our audience that they'd be banging down the door for us to sell them something. So that's what we did. We started the podcast. We all had our day jobs and we would meet uh, Mondays. I think was when we would meet uh, after we'd meet at like four and we'd record, you know, three podcasts, you know, so we'd record till like 10 PM and Mm -hmm. that's what we did initially. And and then, and then eventually we added a second and a third day. And for a full year, that's all we did is we built the, the size of the audience. I remember too, we, it was right off, right away. We, we knew there was something there. I think, we dropped five episodes first, right out the gates. And within, I want to say a week, I was training a client um, at my studio and Adam kept calling my phone and I kept, you know, kicking it to voicemail, but he called me, you know, three times, four times, five times. So I'm like, all right, something's going on. So I told my client, Hey, you know, please give me a second. I need, I need to answer this, this call. So I answer the phone, Adam's, Hey, go to iTunes right now. I was like, Okay. So I went to iTunes and he was go to new and notable. So I go to new and notable. I love your Adam voice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it sounds like a smoker, doesn't he? Right. <laughs> yeah. And there we were, uh, we were in the new and notable section, you know, mm-hmm. right away. So that was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is great. We've got some traction, but we waited for a full year. And what ended up happening was we had built some momentum. We had a small, but loyal audience. I think at the time, we probably were getting a few thousand, you know, maybe 5,000 downloads an episode or something like that. Mm-hmm. And people were messaging us. Do you guys, is there a Patreon somewhere I can donate money? Like, do you sell anything? I feel like I need to pay you guys for all this great information. Mm-hmm. So once we started getting all that, we said, okay, this program that we had created, I think let's, it's time. Let's see if we can monetize um, and see what people do. And we did, we dropped it and we had tremendous response right away. Uh, and that was the beginning. And, and shortly after we, we all, uh, you know, sold our businesses and yeah. did mind pump full time. So what, what do you think gave you guys the opportunity to catch the attention of people listening, even, you know, cause podcasting wasn't huge. It's definitely grown a ton, but even back, you know, when, you know, four five, six years ago, there were tons of other podcasts around. Yeah. What do you think gave you guys the opportunity to stand out even when it was a, you know, semi-crowded space? Yeah. So seven, uh, almost six and a half years ago, we did that. We started and, you know, people, it's funny. Most people didn't even know what a podcast was uh, six and a half years ago. So you would tell people you have a podcast, like, what's a podcast? How do I find that? Is that on my phone? Like a lot of people didn't know that the audience has grown tremendously since then. How did we get traction? We presented a uh, counter common knowledge right out right away and we knew that this would get attention so what is what does everybody believe to be true that everybody believes is true that's false let's do an episode on that right so you know we did an early episode on 
eating small meals throughout the day and why that's a, why that's a myth, right? That was a big one. Everybody believed six and a half years oh, ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel horrible. I used to say that stuff to my clients when I first started out eight years ago. Yeah, it was, it was a big one, right? So we did an episode on that. Um, we did, uh, we did an episode on CrossFit. This was during the, the, the heyday of CrossFit and it was exploding. And we did an episode titled why mind pump doesn't CrossFit. Right. Mm. And we talked about the, the, their programming and how terrible it was and all that stuff. And that got traction because it was counter. So that, right. that was our initially what we tried, what we wanted to do was present accurate counter common knowledge information that always gets people's attention. You know, the, the, the best example I have of, of, you know, why we even had that idea in the first place was, you know, in the nineties, the, all the rage was low fat diets. Everybody was told in order to get lean or to lose weight, you had to cut fat out of your diet and we don't need to go into you know all the nuances and if that's true or false or whatever that was just it that was the message fat's bad for you low fat is good for you well atkins comes out with his you know low carb eat as much fat as you want diet and it exploded why did it explode it was counter it was counter the current message so you've been hammered your whole life that just eat low fat this guy comes out with a book that says, no, if you're cal, you know, if you, if you eat low carb, your health improves, you lose weight, blah, 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 eat all the fat you want. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is opposite. It's totally crazy. I'm going to do it. Right. So, mm -hmm. so that was kind of a, a clue. Like, okay, let's take some current information that everybody believes to be true and counter it accurately uh, and effectively. And that should get people to share the show. And it did. It worked. So with the growth that you guys have had over the last uh, nearly seven years, what were some of the unforeseen challenges that you have had to face um, as, as a mind pump team? Unforeseen challenges. Uh, that's a tough one. You know, I think the, I, I don't want to say unforeseen because I think we predicted this, but you know, people ask us often why we do so many episodes a week, right? We do five podcasts a week, which is a lot. 99.9% .9 of podcasts don't do five episodes What's a week. the average? Do you happen to know? Yeah, industry? I think it's one, one oh, to two. Wow. Okay. Yeah, one to two on average. Five is like a ton. Um, no, almost nobody does, uh, you know, six days or seven days a week. Why did we choose five days a week? Because one of the lessons that we learned just through exercise uh, and fitness is that if you want to get good at an exercise, you just got to practice it often and you're going to suck at first, but the more often you practice it, the better you'll get. We knew that we had no media experience. We knew that if we wanted to get better, we had to podcast. There, nothing would get us better faster than podcasting often. So we said, you know what? We're talking about fitness and health, which we could do forever. It's no problem for us. We've been doing it for you know, 20 years anyway. Why don't we just do five episodes a week so that we practice over and over and over and over again? Meanwhile, giving our audience tremendous content and, and value. Right. And it worked, dude. It totally worked. I mean, you know, you figure, you know, five episodes a week, you know, we're at 1600 episodes. I mean, if we were like the average podcast, we'd be at less than half of that right now. And we'd be as good as we were 
at you know episode 700, which I can tell you right now, if you go back and listen to episode 700 of Mind Pump like and compare it to, we're a lot better now, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that was one of the the big strategies that, and it was it wasn't unforeseen, but we knew, we knew that the challenge would be uh, to get good at media because that's ultimately what we're doing here is we're we're using new media to communicate. So what it, what it, specifically, what did that improvement look like? You know, cause we, you know, when you say media, you can talk about, you know, the technology you did or didn't have, how you used it, how you communicated on the podcast. What were the biggest areas that you guys had to improve upon as you started to release more of these episodes? Oh, we got more concise, uh, better at reading each other. We can really read each other now. Like we'll, we'll know when to stop an episode. I'll know when Justin needs to chime in or when I need to chime in. Um, that's important. Communicating without a lot of, um, but you know, like, you know, and stuff Filler like words. that. Right. Filler words presenting to the camera. Now we do that quite, uh, quite often now because we record the podcast now on YouTube and we're really focusing on making it visual, bringing entertaining stories, uh, not being as nervous, being more natural, making a point but doing it in an effective way and then doing it again in a different but but equally effective way so that we can reach more people organizing the the show and the episodes you know knowing how to turn it on when we need to this has all come through through practice now we feel very we feel very comfortable and polished on the podcast and we're getting there now on video uh, video was the, the next challenge for us and Really, it was only it was only last year, end of last year, that we all decided that the next frontier for us would be YouTube. Like we got to make the podcast visual and turn it into a visual show. We'll reach way more people. YouTube is a massive platform. We got way more people on YouTube than you do on podcast. So we hired an improv coach. He comes in here once a week and does oh, wow. improv exercises with us. We have a barber that comes in once a week you know, tries to make us look good. Uh, we can talk to the camera and we we're noticing now that, you know, you're, you're now you're more aware of your, your demeanor, whereas before it was just audio. Now it's also visual. So all this stuff, right. So it's all, it's all a process. And I don't think we're, you know, professional media, uh, uh, personalities yet, but I can, I think we'll get there. Give us some, give us enough time. I think we'll get there. All right. We'll have to see about that. So how do you feel that you've personally grown as mind pump has grown, what has, how you, how have you, cha have you changed, whether it's your health and fitness, your thought process, how you handle work, how you handle business? How do you feel you've grown in the last six and a half, seven years? Um, I think some of the biggest ways that I've grown is in how I'm able to present myself and how comfortable I am presenting myself. I was never, I'm not really one that was super nervous in front of the camera on a microphone, but now it's a new level of comfort. I think I've grown in how I interview people. My conversations now are much more natural. It's really hard when you're on a podcast or on video and you're interviewing someone. It's a totally different skill. The, I've, you know, I've always tried to be open-minded to different information. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I believe that I have remained that way. So that means that my ideas are constantly morphing and you know, changing. I know this is what I do know for sure. What I do know for sure is what I think I know now, 
or however informed I am or wise I think I am now is going to pale in comparison to where I'll be in five years. And so that makes me humble. That makes me humble because I know that however awesome or great or however good I'm getting on the podcast or presenting information or whatever, it's going to suck compared to where I'll be or what I'll know or learn five years from now. Right. So, which is the ultimate goal. Cause if you're at a ceiling, yeah. I mean, you've got nowhere to move. Yep. Yep. So one of the things that I'm really curious to ask about with, you know, for you personally, as well as the show and the rest of the guys and whether or not you can answer for them, that's, that's, that's cool. Um, as, as the audience has increased, as you guys have become more vocal about things outside of health and fitness, combine that with social media and how people behave on social media. How have you guys learned both personally and as a, as a company to use the advantages of social media that that brings, but also handle the, the cons that social media can bring to your mental health, emotional health, how you feel about yourself, second guessing business decisions, second guessing, yeah. posting something. How have you guys navigated that? Because it's been a, it's been a, you know, I mean, people might think you know, seven years is a while, but it's been a huge steady increase that you guys have had over the years, which I'm sure have brought, um, increasing challenges as you reach more people. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar. Well, you've listened to the very beginning Our one of our very first slogans when we started the podcast, which is very, it's a part of our core kind of, and who we are and please excuse my language, but it's, no, you're fine. You can say whatever you want here. It's a uh, zero fucks. And this was what we originally, we actually made t-shirts <laughs> originally with mind pump that said zero, uh, zero fucks on it. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? we're not trying to be assholes or we're not trying to be, you know, jerks and not care about people's feelings or whatever, but rather we want to be as authentic and honest as possible. And whatever comes out of that is better than what will come out of us not being authentic. Even if in the short term, it doesn't seem that way. Even if in the short term, it looks like we'll make more money and be more successful, not being authentic. So be as unapologetically authentic as possible. Uh, be humble, poke fun at ourselves, because all of that makes us invincible. You know, here's the problem with social media. And, and this is the, and all, with, all, with all new media, right, even podcasting, is people get on there and they try to, rather than being authentic, they appease the crowd. They worry about, uh-oh, uh the, the, you know, I got a virtue signal to show how virtuous I am, or I right. need to apologize for this opinion that I have. No, like the second you do that, you're screwed. Now they're after you. I've seen this happen so many times. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I made that comment on the last episode. I really didn't mean blah, blah, blah. And then, then they're getting attacked even harder. You know, whereas I'm going to say what I mean and, oh, you know, okay. I, yeah, I'm sure I hurt your feelings, but it's just how I feel and whatever. That attitude has made us hard to attack. First of all, we, we beat ourselves up all the time publicly on the podcast. So you're not going to make fun of us in any way that we don't make fun of ourselves. Right. So good luck. We're also unapologetic with our opinions. So, okay, you disagree with me. So what? You know what my opinion is. So does everybody else. You know, click unfollow. I don't care. Like, that's cool, right? right. And, it, it, and I would much rather build a small business that's authentic than a large fake business. You know, I've met a lot of 
social media, you know, influencers who are tormented because they built this false and fake persona that they now, people love me for being what I'm not. Like that's mm -hmm. a terrible place to be. But you Prison. know, here's, here's the other part of it though. People follow and like authenticity, real authenticity, okay? So it may feel like you might get attacked. It may feel like, oh my God, I pissed off all those people with my comment on, you know, whatever, you know, politically charged or contra everything's controversial nowadays, right? Yeah, uh, unfortunately. But okay, oh well, whatever. That's just how I feel. Do your thing, that's fine, no problem. Um, and, and, and don't apologize for it unless you really mean it. And that will, that will, the, the result of that will be better than if you start to try to please everybody, appease everybody, signal how virtuous you are, which is false and fake and lie just to try and get followers and to make the quick dollar. Like, don't do that. You're going to sell your, you know, sell yourself to the, to the, to the devil essentially. And then there, you're going to be holden to these idiots that, whose lives you know are all about going on social media and tormenting other people because they're not you know this whatever ideal that they have so just be who you are and that's it and if you succeed great if you don't you don't you weren't meant to to begin with that's 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 our attitude and maybe because we're older we started the business when we were older yeah we kind of had this attitude but um it's worked well for us again we've said a lot of controversial things we've whatever but you can't touch us because like I said, you, you haven't said anything about us that we haven't said about ourselves and you know so where we stand. Have you guys learned how to refine that skill of, you know, for example, you've got tons of people slandering you, calling you whatever. Have you learned to be able to refine that skill of like, okay, it ultimately doesn't matter. Or has that just been 100% true to yourself mindset since, since day one, or has, well, you know, has there been times where someone said something and it does bother you a little bit? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, I think if things are going to bother you, especially if it hits you in it, in your, one of your insecurities. Um, but be, I think, okay, we all started this as older. We were older. We we're all in our mid thirties. We had some life experience. I think we'd gone through that process of figuring out who you are and all that stuff. It also makes it easier to know that my partners feel exactly the same way mm -hmm. that they have my back, you know, like, you know, if iTunes um, all of a sudden sent us an email or something and said, Hey, um, stop promoting that people eat beef because beef is bad for the environment or something like that, right? We would say, go fuck yourself. Right. And I know that if I said that to iTunes, that Adam and Justin and Doug would agree. And we'd say, well, that sucks. We're going to be kicked off iTunes, but the, there was no other option. We're sorry, we're not going to lie or we're not going to compromise who we are. So it makes it a lot easier having partners that feel the same way. And it's really guided us really well. You know, we've been in positions and, and without throwing anybody on the bus or any company on the bus, we've been offered a lot of money to promote a product or a service that didn't jive with our integrity. Even, even if it wasn't, you know, we could kind of figure out a way to twist it. and Maybe we can make it fit with our integrity because they're offering us you know, this huge contract, mm -hmm. but you know what? It, we're always coming to the same place. No, no, I'm not going to, let's stick to our integrity. It's guided us well up into this point. 
And to be honest with you, I don't want to make money like that anyway. And everybody agrees. So it helps. It helps that I have partners that feel the same way. Mm. Now, speaking in the, in the realm of social media, you've got, you've got a couple of, you got three kids, but you've got two that are, you know, in their, what are they in their teens? Yeah. Yeah. One's 16 and one's 11. So how, how do you, as a, as a parent, how do you plan or intend to try to help them navigate, um, this ever evolving world of social media? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I really try to raise kids that are secure and confident because, Social media is a reality of life. They're going to, at some point, get on there. Uh, I can try to control them, but at some point, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to have a, you know, an 18 year old son or daughter, and I'm going to tell them you can't go on Instagram. You can't go on like. At some point, they're going to have to navigate that stuff on their own. The best thing you could do is, you know, rather than trying to prepare the world for your kid, is to prepare your kid for the world, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, raise secure children, kids that are secure with themselves. How do you do that? You be very consistent as a parent. My kids know that if I say I'm going to be there, that I'm there, that I'm always there. They know how I'm going to react. Um, I show them humility, right? So if I do something that I need to apologize about, I will. I show them lots of love. I also, you also have to be aware of how you talk about yourself or how you talk to their mom. Um, and, you know, show their mom respect or their stepmom respect in, in my case. All those things sets them up so that, you know, when you're secure in who you are, I'm sure it still sucks when you're a kid, you get on social media and have someone say, you know, you're fat or you're ugly or you're stupid or whatever, but it's not going to crush you the same as if you were just like, if, if that was where you got your security, that's on the words of random people online yeah somebody who's more secure is gonna be like man that sucks and i'm just gonna get off this totally not worth it so that's that's been my goal this entire time i want to raise my kids to be very secure to know that they're loved um that way when the world you know hits them which the world's going to that the that they're okay i love that you brought up the the impact that your actions have because I, I mean this is I'm 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 not a parent I hope to be one day but um I'm not a parent and, and but in my observations it seemed like it seems like parents are really focused on teaching and a little less I was gonna piss a lot of people off but a little less on leading by example yeah um and I feel like leading by example is a really hard thing because you can tell anybody to do something, you know, that you want them to do, but it's a whole nother animal for you to actually consistently do that thing and show them the benefits of doing that thing. So right. have there been um, any areas of, of your life as a father where you've kind of had to check yourself and say, okay, this is, this is probably something I should work on or improve in order to make sure that they are getting a real life example of what it looks like to do blank well. Yeah. I, the, the electronic use is a tough one, right? Cause I'll, I'll get stuck on my phone too. And, and I'll tell them, get off your phone. You're on your phone too much. Or, you know, let's, let's be together more. And um, so leading by example can be challenging on that. But I mean, look, you, you want to, if you want your kids to be this, these great people, then you have to kind of be that person too. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Of course, it's easy to be lazy. It's easy to eat garbage. It's easy to, you know, fly off the handle, not control negative, you know, your negative outburst. It's not easy to 
not be on your phone or to be active. Like that all takes sometimes discipline and work. Uh, but that's what you're asking them of them. Right. So, uh, you know, you, you don't want to ask anything of them that you can't do yourself. Uh, number one, I think, because it's just not going to work, but also it's not fair. Right. So, um, but it's tough. It's hard. It's, it's hard to be the example way harder than to tell them what to do. It's super easy to tell them what to do way more challenging to be that example. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. It's, it's, it's just something that's so important to remember. It's, uh, it's yeah. Easier said than done. It's, it goes back to what, what we talked about earlier with kind of like making one little change to your diet or your nutrition. It doesn't feel like one little change. It feels like you're turning your whole world upside down because you're literally trying to change the way you live your life. One of the things that I want to touch on that, that we briefly got to speak about when, when we, we met for a short period of time and what I've, um, enjoyed listening to since, since day one in the show is, um, your, your spiritual journey. You know, one thing that you, especially, I think out of the three of you often talk about is how health is much more than just the physical. It's the mental, it's the emotional, the spiritual. Um, what does the spiritual side of things look like for you in the last six and a half, seven years? Because I know for a, t a period of time you had mentioned that you were, you were atheist or hardcore agnostic, however you wanted to word it, but it seems like there might've been some sort of change in, in, in recent years. And I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I was, um, uh, I was an atheist for a while. And um, I, I challenged my view because I caught myself thinking how ridiculous it was that people thought they knew, you know, that what God was. And I thought, God, you don't know, like how ridiculous. And I thought to myself, mm. wait a minute, I don't know right. that there isn't, right? So am I, um, maybe I'm being equally as ridiculous. So then I became more agnostic, which is kind of like, okay, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Mm. Um, then, and this is just kind of a sideways, I think, way of moving in. There's like, there was a few sideways ways of, that brought me, uh, you know, kind of on this path. One of them was just uh, marveling at the ingenuity, the beauty, the innovation the brilliance of our constitution and how we kind of designed our government. And I think we take it for granted, but it's, it's crazy, crazy to think that anybody would design a government that was completely and originally designed to protect people from the tyranny and power of government mm -hmm. at the time kings and queens ran the world so you've got all these people in power you know george washington wins the revolution and he could have very easily been crowned king and he says no uh i i believe in individual liberty and i thought what a wild crazy concept that we take it for granted now but so counter intuitive so counter natural the natural state of man is to oppress each other Seek tyrannize each other it's poverty, it's just, you know, control and violence over others. This is just human history. So how counter, like so opposite and so weird. Why would they even come up with that idea? And so I, I thought this is crazy. And it wasn't expressed completely, of course, we had slavery and all that stuff, but, sure. but those same principles are what freed the slaves and, and, and you know, obviously making us uh, led uh, democracies around the world. So 
I thought, where did they come up with this idea? And well, I mean, it's, it's based off of the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition that says that, you know, all men are created in the image of God. And so the belief is that we are born with inalienable rights bestowed upon us by our creator, right? What a crazy, insane concept, but brilliant at the same time in practice led to prosperity and people being, you know, treated more equally than ever before and women, you know, being treated better and slaves being freed and, you know, all this incredible stuff, which was not common uh, at the time. So I thought, wow, that's some real wisdom that came out of this religion that I, you know, at the time was very critical over. So I said, you know, I opened my mind a little bit more. And I said, I wonder what other wisdom I could find in this. And of course, I, I, I want to throw away the metaphysical aspect of it at the time, but I thought, I wonder what kind of wisdom is in this. And then I started, you know, you know, I started almost applying the scientific method, right? And I thought, okay, um, I, I, we firmly see that, you know, bacteria evolve, uh, that innovation evolves, ideas evolve too. And bad ideas tend to go away and good ideas tend to stick around. Mm -hmm. And these world religions, these major world religions have been around a long time. There's got to be some value. Otherwise, we would have discarded them a long time ago. There's got to be some real wisdom and value in them. So that kind of opened me up a little bit more. Um, and then, but I, I kind of remained agnostic. And, but I started to look and see wisdom that I would you know, read. And I started becoming a little open-minded. Then I found um, Bishop Barron on, uh, on YouTube. Bishop Barron is a, he's a Catholic bishop and he just communicates a lot of the message of, uh, messages of Christianity very well. And it resonated very strongly with me. So I felt myself getting pulled in that direction, but I was still very much just admiring the wisdom that you would find, uh, you know, in the Bible, for example, like, you know, you know, treating people and not worshiping material things and, you know, all this, all this, this, this obvious wisdom that you would read in there. So I found Bishop Barrett and I said, man, um, whether you want to believe in, in, in Christianity or not, he's saying some things that I think are really valuable mm -hmm. that I think our audience could get some value from. Plus he's so open to being interviewed that we could ask him anything. So I could challenge him and this will be really cool. So I contacted Bishop Barron on a whim. They, a couple of their, uh, a couple of his employees actually listened to Mind Pump, which was cool. Oh, nice. So they invited us down. We went down to Santa Barbara and uh, we met them. And I just had this incredible experience there. Uh, I mean, I met his producer who's this ex bodybuilder and you know, they're all in the work and how, and we had a great time and asked Bishop Barron all these questions. And I, could, I just felt myself getting pulled uh, in that direction. And I even brought it up to him off air. I said, you know, it's really weird. I said, um, I, I, I don't consider myself a Christian. However, man, I feel like everywhere I turn, I'm getting pulled in this direction. And he says, he says, yeah, he goes, uh, you know, God's after you right now. And he goes, and it's going to keep getting stronger i remember him saying that and i remember i remember thinking to myself like this is weird uh but you know it, it's been a process i i I'll, I'll call myself a christian now but it's still a learning process i still find myself getting closer and moving away which i think is probably most people's journeys yeah for sure. but uh but the you know the 
the wisdom in, in the Bible and the teachings that you'll read in the Bible is just, uh, it's so profound and so infinite. I, I mean, there's so much that I, I, I pick up and learn from it. Um, and so I just found tremendous value. Now, uh, objectively speaking, if we speak on a scientific, you know, on a you know, science basis, and we leave the metaphysical stuff out of it, studies are clear that spiritual practices improve people's quality of life. Mm -hmm. They lead to better health, physical health, better longevity, better outcomes, period. End of story. It's clear. Every study shows this. So there's real value there that's proven. Now, you obviously at some point would have to make the leap into believing in the metaphysical, I think. That's at some point what will end up happening. Yep. But at the very least, uh, it's clear that these spiritual practices have tremendous proven value uh, for health. So what are those, what are those specific, are there any specific practices or things that you've implemented that you feel have benefited um, you personally in your health? Uh, prayer. Prayer is a big one. Prayer is interesting because it's like a daily reset, um, daily reflection, right? So you reflect on what's happening. Puts you in the present and, moment. And, you know, when you're praying, you're talking to God and God knows everything. So there's no point in lying. So you have to be like, you're just totally honest. You're just right. totally honest. He knows anyway, right? Um, and so I find a lot of value, uh, in daily, you know, in daily prayer. And again, studies will show daily prayer, meditation, whatever has tremendous, uh, you know, value for people. But for me, that's, that was the biggest one. So how has that impacted your, your, your family life? I'm not sure where, you know, your wife is at, your kids are at, how has that impacted the way you, um, engage with them, the way you converse with them, the way you, you raise your kids, all that stuff. Well, I, I got remarried and I had another child because of it. You know, I, I, I was married for pr prior. I was married for 15 years, uh, probably unhappily for 10. And uh, I did come from a, um, you know, I come from a very traditional Italian family and family is very important. And it was very, very hard to go through that process. It's, you know, very hard to have, you know, I'm very involved with my kids' lives, but I'm not with them every day like I would be if I was, you know, living with them all the time. So it's like this dual custody thing, very challenging. Uh, so I had n tremendous fears over getting married and definitely over having any more kids, like no way, not going to happen. Uh, well, I met, you know, my current wife and she's just phenomenal and we fell in love and, but still had tremendous fears. Like I'm not never doing that again, never doing that again. It's not going to happen. It wasn't until I, went on this spiritual journey that I felt my fears lift. And I felt like, hmm. like, you know, at my core, this is part of who I am. I'm a family man. I love having a family. I love children. I want to have children, more children. So I felt my fears lift. And then that was it. I asked her to get asked her if she'd marry me. She said, yes. And then we had my son. Wow. What would you say to someone that is just going through the trenches with a divorce, having been on the, the, the other side of it, both sides of it? It's hard. Um, being divorced is harder than being married. That's for sure. Uh, so be sure that this is what you really want. 
Of course, it takes two people. So I think, I think it's worth it to try to work it out. But of course, both people have to be uh, a part of it. Um, put if you have children, put your children first. It's going to be really hard to do that, though. You're going to be angry, upset, resentful. Adults turn into children when they fight and argue over divorce and over money and over custody and the people that get hurt are the kids and nobody wins out of doing that mm -hmm. so put your ego aside um, and do it do the right thing for your family and for your kids be the better person be the best person I think it's also valuable to admit your role in the uh, dissolvement of your marriage whatever that may be maybe your role was just sticking around too long you know, maybe you're in an abusive relationship and they were the one that would be abusive, but you stuck around for too, too long, right? Mm -hmm. Like go and, and examine your role and accept your responsibility in the reason why it happened so that you don't allow that to happen uh, again. Um, but yeah, really check your ego because I've, I've seen people go through divorces and just, they use their kids like pawns and they put their children in the middle and it's absolutely it's a travesty complete travesty yes. so it's heartbreaking i mean i've seen it turn people that at before you know were kind and generous and caring and it just it flips a switch you know and they become these vicious selfish hurt hurtful people oh yeah and and um and nobody wins from anything like that especially your kids especially your kids and um you know, especially this is for dads now, because fathers tend to do this when they get divorced. They tend to slowly or abruptly exit out of their kids' lives, you know, and, you know, for whatever reason, society gives them a pass. Like, oh, he's, you know, oh, he sees his kids every other weekend. You know, I mean, that's common. Yeah. You don't see that with moms as much. No. Um, like, be as involved as you possibly can be with your kids because it's challenging for them. This is a very big challenge for your children. They need to feel secure that you're there still, no matter what. And it's hard. You're going to have to organize your schedule. You have to put up with your ex spouse and maybe they're, maybe they're not as, you know, uh, maybe they're not acting as, as, as good as they could be. So what put your ego aside um, and, and, and do the right thing. And it's, it's worth it, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I say it's hard because I think people think that divorce is easier than marriage. It's harder. It's harder. It takes more work for me to be divorced than it did for me to be unhappily married, believe it or not. Sure. Do you think we're suffering as a society from a fatherless society, fatherless kids? Oh, totally. Totally. It's a crisis of masculinity is, is what's happening. You have over 50% of kids being raised without fathers. The result of that is, um, you know, girl, I mean, just look at the statistics. They're going to be more promiscuous. They're, they're more likely to experiment with drugs, be addicted to drugs. They're much more likely to be suicidal, to go to jail, to drop out of school, to get pregnant early, to suffer from anxiety and depression. Uh, you know, something like 80 something percent of homeless people had no, did not have a father. Um, the vast majority of people going to prison did not have a father present. 
It's extremely important. You know, this whole talk about toxic masculinity, masculinity as defined by, you know, asshole bad behavior, right? Men that treat women poorly, that sure. cat call women that are violent and aggressive. That's because that's from men who didn't have good male role models. They didn't have an example of good masculinity. Not the masculinity itself. It's just being an asshole. No, well, what happens is you're, you're a boy, you're growing up, you got no male role model. Maybe mom tries her best, but geez, she's working two jobs or whatever. So you're often mm -hmm. alone. You're trying to find who you are. What are your examples of masculinity, right? Uh, media, music, movies. So what do you see in these glorified, you know, music videos? And what do you see? Assholes dudes banging chicks and driving fast cars and partying and acting like jerks and whatever. Like, Oh, that's what a guy is. A guy's this macho asshole. That's what I got to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you get. Right. When you have a good male role model, it's different. It's totally different. And you see this, the, the, the numbers are true. So yeah. Are we suffering? You better believe it, man. It's a big problem. Have you guys as, um, as hosts of this show has, has your relationship changed now that, that that Adam is uh, is a father because I know you know Doug is Justin is you are Adam was kind of the last one to jump on. Do you feel like your relationship has has increased or the bond has increased or strengthened because of that? Yeah, Adam changed a lot. Um, you know he he was the only one without kids, and so he was all about let's work. You know seven seven days a week, twenty four <laughs> hours a day. You know, yeah. and I used to be like that. By the way, by the way, it's one of the reasons why. Uh, one of the things that led to my divorce. Um, and, and and we, you know, we'd already done that. We'd already experienced that. I had, you know, realized, uh-uh, that's not the way to live. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, no, no, we're going to be efficient. We're going to work hard, but my kids and my family uh, come first. That was really frustrating for him initially. And I get it, by the way. I was, I was just like that, uh, you know, before. I get it. But um, now that he has his own kid, um, he's the same way. And we all value our family. We all value family time and being good fathers. And so, um, it, it, but I tell you, it's funny. We've all owned businesses before. We've all devoted, uh, you know, a hundred plus hours a week to our businesses. This business, all of us work the least that we've ever worked probably. Now I'm not saying we don't work hard. We do, but we all are very dedicated to our families. And ironically, it's the most success we've ever had it, by far. There's no business. None of us have ever have never had a business that's even come close to this success. But yeah, it's him being a dad. I, I could see that, that he, he gets it. You know, he gets that part and he understands it. Um, and so now he's in the same boat. So what do you think contributes, contributes to that? Because you said it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, it doesn't make sense. You know, you, you're, you're spending all this family time, therefore less time in the business, but it's going tremendously well. We, but yet we see the same thing in health and fitness where moms, dads, parents, I, 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 I can't do anything for myself because, you know, I got to do this for my kid. But then <clears throat> once they finally decide to give that time to themselves, they realize, holy crap. I can fill my kid's cup up way more because mine is, is, is overflowing. Is that something that you feel that you've, uh, you've noticed directly with, with the business and perhaps in your, in your health and fitness as well? Yeah, it's, um, it's a better quality of life. I think it keeps our message pure. Have, you know, being, a, being a, a father 
and being an involved father keeps you grounded and it keeps you uh, remembering what's important. You know, there's always that temptation when you have a business, especially the one that's successful, to mold your morals or to bend and twist and change to pursue the dollar, right, or the success. You know, being prioritizing your family keeps you grounded. You know, you, you know what's important. Nothing's more important than my family. So the whole mm-hmm. business could implode. That would be terrible and suck. But my family's, you know, I, I'd much rather that than lose my family, right? So it keeps you grounded. It also keeps you efficient because if I know that I only have a certain amount of time to work because I got to pick up my kids from school and I got to go watch this game or I want to make sure I have dinner with them, I'm going to be very efficient. I found that when I worked unlimited hours, my efficiency was, was way less. Drag your feet um, a little more. Yeah. So, and then of course, there's a little bit of magic there. I mean, I got to think that, you know, God plays some kind of a, played a role in this because all of us are doing what's right, what we believe to be right. Um, and so we're more rewarded in that case. Um, so I, I believe there's also that that playing a role but you know i tell you what do i think we could make more money if all of us just buried our heads and just grinded yeah i think so would i want that no so not worth it not at all and you know to be quite honest with you i think our growth has been very quick but it's been appropriate any faster i don't know if we'd be ready to be honest with you like i don't know if you implode yeah i I don't know if we're ready for prime time right so we definitely weren't a year ago so Mm -hmm. uh it's all happening at the right speed Good. Well, Sal, I want to give you a chance to to, to talk about the book that uh, you're you put out here. So, we kind of you, you you kind of alluded to it earlier with resistance training being this um, this uh, ancient thing, but yet new thing in the sense that people are finally realizing, wow, resistance training actually has tremendous benefit. I can use it for all sorts of different goals. I can use it to increase longevity, to sustain the goals that um, that I work hard for. So, um, talk talk to me a little bit about uh, you know the book, what your main focus is, and what your intention is as far as you know reaching these uh, readers. Yeah, so I wrote the book because the formula that we've been following, or that that mainstream media and even the medical community has promoted for so long to solve our health issues, namely obesity and the umbrella issues that, you know, that come off of that, right? The, the diabetes and the Alzheimer's and heart disease and cancer and all that stuff. The formula that we've been presented is totally wrong and it's actually caused more problems. What we've done is we've taken a truth, which is in order to lose weight, you need to take less calories in than you burn or burn more calories than you take in. We've taken that and it's more complex than that, of course, but that's, that's a rule, right? That's a law. And we've looked at the calorie burn side of that formula and we've taken all forms of exercise and we've placed value on them primarily on how many calories they burn while you're performing the exercise. So we say, okay, we need to get people to exercise. We know that in order to lose weight, you need to take in less calories than you burn or burn more calories than you take in. So the most valuable form of exercise has to be the one that burns the most calories. So let's have everybody do that one, right? The problem with that is it's totally false. The the calories that you burn while you exercise is actually the least valuable aspect of exercise, the least. What you want to look at 
is the adaptations that whatever ac that exercise is inducing in your body. In other words, how's that exercise getting your body to change and adapt? And then what does that mean? What does those, what do those adaptations mean for you? And then how does that work in the context of sustainability, consistency, and of course, in relation to most people's goals, which is to lose weight mm -hmm. and to keep it off. And so here's the problem. The problem is the exercise forms that burn the most calories are cardio-based, okay? Running, biking, swimming, rowing. And it's true, right? An hour of those forms of exercise burns more calories than an hour of any other form of exercise, even including resistance training or strength training. Um, and so that's what we've been recommended. The problem is the way that those forms of exercise get our bodies to adapt is actually counterproductive to our goals. And now here's why. When you're performing any form of exercise, your body tries to get better at it, okay? So if you go out and run and you've never run, it may be challenging to run down the street, but you do it enough and then eventually you can run around the block and then two blocks and then you can run a mile, two miles and so on. So what's happening in your body? Why is your body getting better at this? Well, it's first, uh, it is becoming more, uh, it's, you're gaining endurance and stamina, right? So your body's able to repetitively move more and more uh, without getting fatigued. Your body also needs to learn to become more efficient with energy or more efficient with calories. In other words, because I'm moving repetitively over and over again, my body is learning to burn calories more efficiently or to put it differently, burn less calories, right? My body is learning to burn less calories. One of the ways it does this is by reducing muscle mass. And especially because cardiovascular activity doesn't require much strength, what you find when people do lots of cardio as their exercise, you know, portion of their weight loss formula, they lose a lot of muscle. Typically studies will show about half. So you lose 10 pounds, five pounds is muscle, five pounds is body fat. Now, why is that a problem? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, you're now a smaller, roughly same body fat percentage version of yourself. So you didn't really get leaner. You just got smaller but also you've slowed your metabolism down. So now you burn less calories. So you lose 10 pounds and then you plateau. Why am I not losing any more weight? I know I need to exercise more and I need to eat less. And then you lose another five pounds and you plateau. Oh, I got to eat less. I got to exercise more. At the end of this, you lost 30 pounds, but you're consuming very low calories and you're exercising a lot. And that's what you got to keep doing forever just to maintain that, which is unsustainable right? Now, if we look at another form of exercise, namely resistance training, which when I say resistance training, it means training with resistance, specifically in a way to build muscle and strength. So it could be body weight, it could be resistance bands, of course, free weights, machines, but in a way to build muscle, not in a way to burn lots of calories. So I could take dumbbells and do 15 exercises in a row with no rest, and that's just cardio. It's the same thing as cardio, right? So I'm talking about straight sets, rest, straight set, rest, like a bodybuilder or a strength athlete, right? What does that tell the body to do? Well, primarily it tells the body to build muscle. We need muscle and we need strength. What does this do? This makes your body burn more calories. You speed up your metabolism. Now, initially the weight loss is slower, mainly because you don't lose any muscle. So you may only lose a few pounds, but that's because 
gets a few pounds of body fat and no muscle loss. But then your body starts to build a little muscle, metabolism speeds up, and the fat loss starts to accelerate. And what it looks like at the end is very different. At the end of your process, you're eating as much as you were before or more, and you're leaner, right? So you're eating more, but you're leaner than you were when you started. Much more sustainable. A fast metabolism is a tremendous benefit in modern society. Now, it wasn't 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago, an efficient metabolism was great. You don't want a metabolism that burns a lot of calories because food is hard to come by. Mm -hmm. But right now, man, if I, could, if I could snap my fingers and make the average American's metabolism burn 5,000 calories a day, I would solve the obesity epidemic overnight. <laughs> overnight, because now they're eating 3,000 or 4,000 calories. They're losing weight. And it's like, wow, why am I losing weight? I got this really fast metabolism. So that's what resistance training does. But there's so much more to it, right? You also shape and sculpt the body. So aesthetically, it presents this really nice-looking physique. It's also pro-youthful levels of hormones. No other form of exercise does this, right? No, no form of exercise reliably raises testosterone in men like resistance training. Mm -hmm. No form of exercise reliably raises growth hormone at baseline like resistance training, right? No form of exercise controls your cortisol levels uh, as effectively as resistance training or balances your estrogen and progesterone, right? Why? Resistance training is asking your body to build muscle. Your body then molds its hormone profile in order to build muscle. What builds muscle? A youthful hormone profile, right? Now, on the flip side, if I do lots of cardio and I tell my body to lose muscle so it can become better at cardio, what hormone profile is conducive to muscle loss, right? Lower testosterone in men, which is, well, show, the studies show this, lots of cardio lowers testosterone in men. Elevated levels of cortisol. You see imbalances in estrogen and progesterone in women. So, and I do want to be clear, all forms of exercise have value, including cardiovascular activity. It's definitely healthy, but the, but the problem is making that the cornerstone of your routine in order to improve your health and, and reduce your odds of obesity. It's a failing strategy and as evidenced by the 89% of people who gain the weight back after they lose it. So what is, what is the... Um... What has the general response been to to the book? Because I do know right now we're in a time where resistance training is getting a better name for itself. You know, it's not. I mean, there are still some people out there that might think that think that, but it's 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 not this you know demonized thing that just makes women look like men. It's not this thing that's just meant for bodybuilders. It seems like it's having a comeback. Have you experienced that same type of feedback from from the book? Have you experienced some pushback? No, I've gotten a lot of positive. Good. I think a lot of trainers and coaches have known this for years. Oh, of course. I mean, average, you know, trainers that know their know what they're doing and been training people for a long time use resistance training. It's a primary yeah. form of exercise they use yeah. uh, with their clients. Um, but the science is now coming out to support what I'm talking about. It didn't exist before, right? Fifteen years ago, there was very little studies on resistance training and weight loss, resistance training and longevity. There were none. Every study was with cardio. Um, but now they're studying resistance training. What are they finding? It's the only form of exercise that stops the progression of the beta amyloid plaques that causes Alzheimer's. There was a study out of Sydney, Australia that showed that. Only form of exercise that will reliably speed up the metabolism. It's actually better for cardiovascular health. So the health of your heart and your arteries. We now have studies showing it 
benefit your hormones. Um, so there's all these studies. There are now studies that show that a simple strength test can predict your all-cause mortality better than almost any other single test. So if you're strong or weak, that'll predict all-cause mortality better than almost anything else. There's a simple grip test that'll show that. So the science now is starting to support it. I mean, I just had a cardiologist on the podcast who that's what he does. He goes around and talks to other doctors about resistance training and tells them, hey, tell your clients, start using resistance to work out because the studies are now showing that this is the most effective. And it requires the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. A couple of days a week for the average person will, will, will yield them tremendous results. You don't get tremendous results from a couple of days a week of any other form of exercise. You just don't. Right. Um, and this is an important thing to note because we're not going to get the average person to work out every single day. We're just not, you know, we'll get them maybe twice a week. So why not do the one form of exercise that gives you the most bang for your buck? Mm-hmm. Is a part of you kind of like, I would imagine, you know, being a trainer for so long, um, a part of you has to be like, what now with all this new science coming out, just thinking, well, yeah, no shit. You know, you've been seeing this with trainers, with coaches, coaching your own clients for years, 10 plus years. I've seen it for years. And it's a bummer because it's one of those things where, which I believe you've mentioned on the show a couple of times, is how this anecdote gets gets lumped in with being a moron because, you know, science hasn't proven it yet. Yeah. And so it's a relief, at least for me, I'm not sure how you feel, but for me, it's a relief to say <laughs> a little bit of, you know, see, I told you so, because now we can finally show people that, hey, this is, this is here to stay. It's lasting. It's legit. Um, so is there a party that's just extremely like, yeah, duh, we've been saying this forever. Well, yeah, totally. But, you know, I also know that anecdote drives the research. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, enough anecdote has been happening long enough now that researchers are doing the studies. Um, and it's a slow process. I know, I, you know, it, of course, it's frustrating. But um, the reason why I named it the resistance training revolution is because I believe that we're at the beginning of an exercise revolution. I believe over the next 10 years, resistance training is going to become the way that most people exercise and that most people are recommended to exercise. Um, and and I, I'm hoping that the book that I wrote plays a role in that. But I, I know, I, I see the studies and I'm, okay, here we go. Here's the studies, more studies. Oh my gosh, okay. Pretty soon, doctors are going to be pushing this on their patients pretty soon. We're going to see more articles, more mainstream media talking about this. And then you'll start to see people, you know, grab a pair of dumbbells or resistance bands and, you know, try to build strength and build muscle. Even if their goal isn't to build muscle, it's just to lose weight and improve the longevity. So it's coming. Uh, It's taken a long time, but I'm happy that it's coming. Agreed. I'm ready for it. Well, Sal, I want to thank you for, for taking so much time out of your day. Um, one thing I want to end on here is whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart, if there's one thing that you feel like you really want to communicate uh, or one thing you wish people like thoroughly understood about health, fitness, nutrition, uh, what would that thing be? Oh, take care of yourself like someone you care about. That's it. So mm. if, if you, you know, take care of yourself the way you would take care of your child or your favorite pet or your friend, okay? Because we tend to do a better job taking care of people that we love uh, than we do taking care of ourselves. So that's a good guide. 
Good. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Sal. I really appreciate your time. Where, you know, if people haven't by some strange reason heard of Mind Pump, where can they find you guys? Where can they find you on social media, website, all that stuff? Yeah. So Mind Pump, any podcast platform, or you can find us on YouTube. We have two YouTube channels. Mind Pump TV has the exercise demos. And then the Mind Pump podcast channel has the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram uh, at Mind Pump Sal. That's the main social media uh, that I'll use, uh, uh, you know, personally. And then if you want free, good free information, so you don't want to pay a dime, but you want more good written uh, narrated information to help you, you know, improve your fitness and health and build muscle, burn body fat and all that stuff, go to mindpumpfree.com. We have a ton of guides there uh, that we made for our audience. Perfect. Awesome, Sal. Thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate you. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe it is over already. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Hey, listen in. If you have a health and fitness goal that you are trying to reach, I don't know what else to say other than to say it must be a match made in heaven. If you didn't know already, Pullman Fitness exists to transform the body, mind, and spirit through personal coaching and sustainable fitness plans for any stage of life. So if you want to reach your goals, build sustainability, and enjoy life all at the same time, you guys got to check out Premier Coaching at Pullman Fitness. From custom tailored programming to 24-7 access to your personal coach, you'll have everything that you need to succeed. You guys can find out a lot more about Premier Coaching as well as our membership program at PullmanFitness.com. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, share the love by leaving a five-star review and introducing the podcast to your friends and family. As always, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, this is The podcast.